0: You're listening to a podcast from the 2020 National Climate Emergency Summit.
1: Federal and state MPs, Lord Mayors, Mayors, Councillors, students, professionals, fellow citizens. I'm Mary Kostakidis and it's my great pleasure to welcome you here today for this pivotal event, the National Climate Emergency Summit live streaming across the country in Brisbane, Sydney, Perth, Darwin, Hobart, Adelaide and many other places around Australia. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the Wurundjeri people, and pay my respects to their Elders past and present. What a great turnout at the Melbourne Town Hall today. I I apologise for the delay, but as we speak, There's still a vast queue of uh, people um, down the road trying to get into the town hall. The people of Melbourne are engaged and what a pity more of our politicians aren't engaged. A broad range of organisations and key individuals have come together to hold this event in recognition of the urgency of a national response to the greatest threat facing humanity and in the absence of adequate recognition by the federal government and state governments of the scale and urgency of action required. We come together at a critical time, in the wake of the recent climate devastation that has struck the country. At least 33 people have died in bushfires in Australia since the summer season began in October affecting more than 10 million hectares across the country, with a staggering one billion animals estimated to have perished in the fires that produce hazardous air quality for millions of people for dangerously long periods of time. The scientific evidence was clear and we're now facing the consequences. The world is standing at the edge of major ecological and humanitarian tipping points, and we can no longer afford half measures. It's essential for us to understand the speed with which we need to act and the scale of response required in order to arrest an existential threat. This is an emergency. This National Climate Emergency Summit has been formed in response to the unprecedented events in this country and has drawn together a diverse array of delegates and over 100 presenters from government, industry, academia and civil society, including representatives from the emergency services, the health sector, regional, local and city councils, engineering, planning and research sectors and many more. Over the next two days, some of the country's key thought leaders and practitioners will tackle many of the critical issues in economic, technical and social change in an effort to chart a course to move beyond the declarations of climate emergency and begin to help shape Australia's transition. We cannot respond other than with the speed and the scale of action that will match the level of threat that we face. To officially begin the proceedings today, I'd like to welcome to the stage Wurundjeri Elder Uncle Dave Wandon for the Welcome to Country.
2: Well, how do you follow on from that statement? We all know it. It's been read out. It's been spoken. But we all know it instinctively that we are in the middle of change. I'd just like to say one thing, it is not unprecedented of what we are going through. It is unprecedented since colonisation. But my ancestors have passed down the stories of when this has happened before. For those of you who might not know, science has just recently proven that Aboriginal people have been here, at least in Victoria for 120,000 years. So this is not our first climate change. It's not our first climate change emergency, but it is probably the first climate change emergency that has been caused by humans. There are natural climate changes. We've survived. We are the oldest living culture on earth because we have adapted. We haven't gone and said, we need to change nature. We need to change humanity and the way that we treat nature. That is the law of our people. For the official welcome, Waminjika, Wurundjeri Biak. Welcome to Wurundjeri country, the land of my ancestors, but also still my land today and the land of my children. But just that we share it with so many more people. I pay my respects to my Elders and my ancestors, past and present. I pay my respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are here today. Their ancestors and their Elders, past and present, but also their Elders emerging. I would also like to pay my respects to every Indigenous person in this room today. Because you are all Indigenous to somewhere. You all have Elders. You may not call them elders, but you all have ancestors. You all have people that influence your lives. That's what led you here today. You may have made this decision on your own, you think. The same as I did as a young man growing up, thinking, yes, I've got the answer to this and this is what I want to do. But when I look back and see what I have done, it has always been the influence of my elders and my ancestors, and the same as everyone in this room. Being here today has been influenced either by the might be but just by the news, which has been pretty scary. That we should be panicking. And this is the time when we should not be panicking. If we panic, we do have a chance of actually damaging more than we're trying to achieve. The one thing about Aboriginal people was to study. We were the first scientists of this country. And as things changed in this country over those tens of thousands of years. The stories were kept. The mistakes were remembered. These devastating fires are not new. 10 and 15,000 years ago, these were happening. The mega fires. We worked out a system how to live with fire, how to prepare, and unfortunately, it's taken these mega fires before the Aboriginal people have been asked again. And we're now trying to lead the rest of you, how to manage the country. We will need a combination of modern science, but we also need to go as far back in history as we can to learn and remember and practise the ways that actually prevented this from happening. Now, I'd like to say that that's happening just here in Australia, but we know this is a climate emergency around the world, but still the indigenous people from all other countries as well when they go back far enough into their history, they will have the stories. And they are common threads. So this is the part where I say, I pay my respects to our creator, which is Bunjil, the wedge-tailed eagle. He is our father. And he handed down our law to the Aboriginal people. He handed down one law, the first law, and that is, we must care for our mother. And when Bunjil said that, He said, we must care for the spirit of our mother as we would care for our physical mother. Because if you can't care for the spirit of your mother, it will reject you. And that's the way that Aboriginal people still live today. Those that still have their connections to country still live that same way. The first thing we do when we get out of bed in the morning and walk outside, we look at country, we look at the spirit of our mother, we ask if she's all right. And then we work out what she needs to be healed. And that's what connection country is, it's about healing country. Now I'm not not saying that the Aboriginal people can cure all the ills of the world, but we can all, not just Aboriginal people, but all of us as individuals, not just the government, all of us as individuals can heal our own little bit of country and we can help our neighbours heal their little bit of country, which was done. Yes, you might hear that there's, you know, there were wars between the Aboriginal people, but when it came to caring for country, because it was first law, L-O-R-E, you must care for country, because if you do not, it will reject you. Yes, we are losing species day by day, every day. If, if Mother Nature had its way, the first thing it would actually make extinct would be humans because of the abuse that we have given it. Now is our time, thank you, now is our time to actually not look where we can place the blame, but how we can do as Aboriginal people are doing, how we can actually walk country together, together heal country. And once we heal country, we will heal ourselves as people and we will survive this climate emergency that is now upon us, not in 20 years, it's here now. Waminjika Wurundjeri Biak, welcome to Wurundjeri country and thank you very much.
1: Well, many thanks to Uncle Dave for those wise words. as we saw in the opening piece, over a thousand governments around the world have declared a climate emergency. One of those leading governments is that of the city of Melbourne. And it gives me great pleasure to invite the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Sally Capp, and Councillor Cathy Oki to welcome you to Melbourne Town Hall.
0: Thank you, Mary, and good morning, everyone. In all the world, only Australia can lay claim to having the world's longest continuous living cultures. Here in the city of Melbourne, we acknowledge the elders past and present of the Boon and the Wurrung Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we thank them for nurturing this country for more than 2,000 generations. We know at the City of Melbourne that we must do more to celebrate and embed our Aboriginal culture into modern Melbourne as we build it together. We want to say thank you to Uncle Dave, our elder from the wurong Wurundjeri people uh, for that wonderful welcome to country and leadership on what we're experiencing on climate change. Well, welcome to all of the distinguished guests, speakers and citizens uh, to town hall for this summit over the next two days. We're very excited. Sadly and inescapably, our conversations here and nationally will be shaped to a great degree by the savage summer bushfires, still burning in so many places across our country. I visited East Gippsland last Friday and saw with my own eyes the devastations of towns, forests, and bushland. Entire ecosystems and buildings destroyed, lives lost. The rebuilding, of course, is never just physical. These communities are shattered. And now we have floods. All of us here today, and increasingly, thankfully, a vast majority of Australians recognise that strong, immediate action on climate change is necessary to protect our economy, our environment, and our way of life. As they say, there are no jobs on a dead planet. A transition is underway globally, and Australia must not allow itself to be left behind. Today and tomorrow, we have a chance to hear from so many eminent and experienced speakers on what we can be doing to create change. In our own patch here in the city of Melbourne, our climate policies have evolved over two decades. Last year, as Mary said, we declared a climate and biodiversity emergency. We were the 1,371st city around the world to do so. There's no question that we have a responsibility to our community to act and we want to make sure that we can survive the worst of climate change shocks. But we also realise that we need to embrace the economic opportunities that spring from innovation and technological response to climate change. So often economic opportunity can increase the pace of momentum. Melbourne's own council operations were certified, certified as carbon neutral in 2012, and Dr Kathy Oak had a huge amount to do with that. We are pl- pleased to say that we use 100% renewable e- electricity throughout the city of Melbourne as a result of the Melbourne Renewable Energy Project pioneered at the city of Melbourne and led by our deputy Lord Mayor who's standing right at the back, that's why I'm pointing there. We've also cut our emissions by 53% since 2013. But this horrendous summer shows us that we must do a great deal more and next week councillors will be considering a zero emissions target by 2040 for our entire municipality. We know that cities are doing a lot, but they can't do everything. We need our federal government particularly to help with the heavy lifting. We know that we want to have a cohesive and coordinated approach to reaching our Paris Agreement commitments by 2050 or before. I am delighted to be standing here today with a tenacious and relentless champion on environment and climate change, our City of Melbourne councillor, Dr Kathy Oak.
3: Thank you, Lord Mayor. I firstly want to acknowledge um, our dear friend and and leader and Wurundjeri elder, Uncle Dave. Um, I echo what he was saying, that if if there's any voice that we need to listen to in our cities, it's that of the longest living culture anywhere in the world. If you want to hear it and learn about resilience, we need to speak to our First Nations in all of our cities and all of our towns. And i really acknowledge the work that Uncle Dave has been doing in putting a real focus on the biodiversity emergency. Bringing nature back to our cities is an important part of declaring an emergency, is acting not only on deep cuts to emissions, but also in bringing our ecosystems with us, so thank you Uncle Dave for your work in that space. I dropped my daughter at school this morning and I said something that I often say, I'm off to Town Hall to work with an amazing group of people who for many years have been dedicated to action on climate change. But today I was able to say that the Lord Mayor and Councillor Rees and Deputy Lord Mayor Aaron Wood are joining 2,000 people who are here to double down on our efforts to make sure that Melbourne, Australia is a better world not only for her but to all the kids that come after her and after her and after her. And so So if there's one thing that I know that I want and I know the city of Melbourne wants and the organisers and I acknowledge the fabulous Luke Taylor and what he has achieved in bringing us all here today. If there's one thing that we need to do is know that declaring an emergency is not enough. We know that we, and the city of Melbourne next Tuesday will be voting on what we're going to do to accelerate, to mobilize the social and economic resources that we know we need to get to that transition. And that's next Tuesday. We're committed, hopefully, to to vote on what we need to do. But you also are here to make sure that we all make that commitment, that we make deep change, accelerate that change, scale it up, um, and tell our leaders at the national level that they must also act accordingly. At the next climate negotiations, at COP26, the United Nations Climate Change Conference, we must not be the fossil of the day like we were every day in Madrid. We must be... (laughs) We must be celebrated for actually joining the international community in doing what we need to do for climate change, and thank you so much for joining us on that journey.
1: now my great pleasure to invite to the podium the federal member for Melbourne and newly elected leader of the Greens, Adam Bant.
4: Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Uncle Dave, for that very generous and insightful welcome to Wurundjeri country. And I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that this is stolen land, that sovereignty was never ceded, and now more than ever it's time for treaties with our First Nations communities. Because, And also to acknowledge, as Cathy and the Lord Mayor did, that around the world First Nations communities are at the front line of climate impacts and are crucial to solving the climate emergency. I want to acknowledge all of the distinguished guests and also acknowledge and thank our emergency services and community volunteers who've been working so hard to protect us in the past months as we face the unprecedented coal-fuelled bushfire crisis. I want to <clears throat> also want to say welcome to all of you who are visiting this excellent electorate of Melbourne, but to every one of you, whether this is your first time or you've been here many times before, I want to say thank you because you are a wonderful sight here and if our global civilization can survive the environmental and climate emergency the history books will record that on this day and in this place you came together to find a pathway to a safe climate and you will all be considered heroes and you deserve a huge round of applause. Now, I've just spent the last two weeks in Parliament and it is hard to describe the continued level of denial and spin that is constantly on display in Canberra. We had people whose houses had burned over the summer come up to Canberra to the doorstep of Parliament with what was left of their homes in wheelbarrows and buckets. They spoke powerfully and eloquently about the impacts of the climate emergency on their lives and I was humbled to meet with some of them. But for most of Parliament, it was like they were invisible. It's like being in the twilight zone up there. You've got the Barnaby and his band of nationals wanting to build more coal-fired power stations. To the Prime Minister's contortions over climate and the bushfire crisis and the shameless deception as though everything is under control, while their inaction is driving us to a three to four degree warmer world that will completely overrule our, and overrun our economy and society. And unfortunately, a Labor opposition that persistently defends the continued role of coal in our economy, both for energy and export, and who has dropped their 2030 targets. So it is wonderful to be back here among friends who accept the truth of the crisis, and who, as Greta Thunberg says, want us to listen to the scientists and act accordingly. And as... Now... As you may know, last week, I was elected to be leader of the Australian Greens, and in my first media conference after um, becoming Greens leader, I said that I refuse to accept a future where our children need to wear gas masks because their cities are full of smoke. And I also spoke about the people that I met who I talk to every day, and kids are foremost amongst them, who are angry and anxious and who are desperately looking for leadership. Now is the time to tell it like it is. No more spin, no more half-truths. Tell it like it is. Now is the time to face up to the reality of the powers that we face if we are to save the planet and save the future. We are in a climate emergency because of politicians and power brokers trying to preserve a status quo that sees the coal and oil and gas barons get rich and then funnel off a tiny bit of their wealth to political parties when they're in power and then give those politicians cushy jobs in their organisation when they leave office. This is what has taken us past one degree of global warming, which has given us towering infernos, flooding, record heat waves, toxic air, pollution, and so much more. And the last time that there was this much carbon dioxide in the air was at least 2.6 million years ago before humans existed. And back then, temperatures were more than three degrees warmer. There were trees in Antarctica, and sea levels were 25 metres higher. And if we keep polluting at our current rate, we could be at 1,000 parts per million by the end of the century. And the last time that that happened, dinosaurs roamed the earth. Like them, we face an existential crisis brought on by a rapid shift in the climate system, but this time it is human-induced. The warming track of up to four degrees that we are on is a world full of death and destruction and hopelessness. It will be a world that may be capable of only supporting a billion people, perhaps less. And that is horrible to contemplate, but it is real. Now, even if there was only a 1% chance, a 1% chance of this occurring, the potential outcome is so bad that we should mobilise the entire machinery of government and society towards avoiding this possibility. When the Allies won World War II, It wasn't just because the US and other governments put their resources into winning it. The war was won because government and industry and communities worked together to meet an unprecedented threat. In 1942 America, a spark plug factory started producing machine guns. A merry-go-round factory made gun mounts. A pinball machine plant made armour piecing shells. And a toy company started making compasses. Now, by working together, government and industry and the American people met and triumphed over an existential and unprecedented threat. Now, we don't need to militarise, we need to decarbonise, but fast forward 80 years and nothing like that is happening in Australia. We have some amazing parts of industry, including people in this room, who are starting to transform our energy sector. And the economics are in your favour, that we know. But we also have other parts of industry trying desperately to hold back this tide. And we have a government that is joining them. Now, we had the beginnings of something in the 2010 shared power government where Greens, Labor and independents worked together to implement the clean energy package. But later, we became the first nation ever to rescind a carbon price. Now, I have an unwavering belief notwithstanding the current fossil fools that are in government, that nothing will stop the clean energy revolution. Nothing will stop scientists and engineers and businesses from solving these problems. We will get there eventually. But the only problem is we don't have until eventually. We need to act super fast. If we only reach net zero by 2050 or 2060 or 2070, we will still confront disaster. And that is why the government and the whole of society must recognise we are in an emergency and take action at emergency speed, devoting all the resources we need to stop a threat that may otherwise simply become overwhelming. Now, I know that there are some who get nervous when he talks about emergency. Some have said, well, emergency is about reinforcing the potential for a suspension of rights. But there's also a way of talking about emergency that's not about police and military, but about rescue. Ambulances under lights and sirens take emergency action and no one thinks they're taking away your rights. Firefighters take emergency action and they do it to save life. We, all of us, everyone in this room, we all now now need to become the firefighters of human history. We are the ones who are ringing the alarm bells but also pointing towards the exit. And over the next two years, the Greens will continue to push for a declaration of environment and climate emergency by the Australian Parliament. (laughs) Next fortnight, I'll introduce to the Commonwealth Parliament the Climate Emergency Declaration Bill. The bill will declare a climate emergency, require every government department to be guided by the declaration and mandate the establishment of what in the past was called a war cabinet to guide the country through a rapid society and economy-wide mobilisation to decarbonise the economy. This bill reflects the scale of the crisis we face and represents the scale of action that is needed. Now, Winston Churchill was a flawed man and a flawed Prime Minister, but in his greatest hours, he reached across the aisle during World War II and formed a grand coalition with the Labor Party and others. And I know it seems incomprehensible that in today's political context this could happen, but instead of having reach across the aisle and have a coalition for coal, we need to fight for a coalition to tackle the climate emergency. It's what should happen, and it's what we've got to keep fighting for, because the time for appeasement is over. This... This is why it's time for a Green New Deal. A Green New Deal is a government-led plan of investment and action to build a clean economy and a caring society. A plan where we can fight the climate crisis and the inequality crisis at the same time. I wanna create a manufacturing renaissance in this country. I wanna make Australia the renewable energy superpower where people bring their businesses from overseas for cheap, clean electricity as we urgently phase out coal. But let's export renewable energy while processing our minerals and making the things the world needs here in Australia, as Rosgarno proposes. I want Australia to make things again, and with a Green New Deal we can. And over the coming months and years I'll be travelling the country, hosting town hall meetings, community gatherings and kitchen table conversations, explaining how a Green New Deal can provide the hope and action we need to solve the climate crisis. because. Just shouting fire at someone doesn't help them find the exit. We need to provide the pathway to safety too. Talking about emergency means ringing the alarm bells and also finding the exit. And that's what a Green New Deal, a plan for a whole of society mobilisation provides. And I firmly believe that by showing that emergency action on climate can make people's lives better, protecting their lives and their children's lives, We will mobilise a powerful movement that will change our country and save the future. Friends, our country is on fire and our planet is heading the same way. We have no choice but to tell the truth about the crisis and to face up to what is needed. The time for half measures is over because time is running out, so please, use the next two days to generate the energy and ideas that is going to make our movement stronger and more powerful so that together we can save the future. Good luck and thank you.
0: This was a podcast from the 2020 National Climate Emergency Summit.